0: Welcome to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. Sydney Ideas is the University of Sydney's public events program, providing you with the opportunity to hear leading thinkers from our university and around the world.
1: Enjoy the podcast.
2: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sydney Ideas, Screening the World, an inside look at film festivals in Australia. This Sydney Ideas is co-presented with a research cluster screening the world within the School of Languages and Cultures. My name is Michelle Royer. I'm chair of the Department of French and Francophone Studies at the University of Sydney, and I will chair tonight's event. But before we begin proceedings, I want to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional honours of the land on which we meet, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. It is upon the ancestral land that the University of Sydney is built. As we share our knowledge, teaching, learning, and research practices within this university, may we also pay respect to the knowledge embedded forever within the aboriginal custodianship of country. Film festivals are an important part of Australia's film culture. There are over 90 film festivals held in Sydney, and some of them have a very long history, as we will see. But how are film festivals organized? How are films selected? Who chooses them? Who goes to film festivals? So many questions. We did a quick poll on Twitter with the question, do you watch international films at the cinema or at home? The overwhelming answer was, yes, at home, 74%. So we thought, it's really timely to bring together film festival experts and an audience of people interested in films to talk about what happens behind the scene at film festivals, and to reflect on what film festival may look like in the future of 21st century Australia. Our main speaker needs no introduction. David Stratton, is known to anyone interested in films. It is a fact. He is a celebrity. No lover of film in this country can say, with honesty, that they haven't, at some stage, looked to see what David Stratton thought about a movie. When we started to think about organizing an event around film festivals, The first person that came to our mind was, of course, David Stratton, And so he is here tonight. We were very pleased about that. As you know, David was a long-time co-host of the Australian SBS television program, The Movie Show, and later, the ABCs at the movies. He has served on the juries of the Cannes, Venice, and Berlin Film Festivals, and very importantly, at least for tonight's event, he was the director of the Sydney Film Festival from 1966 until 1983. David contributes film reviews to The Australian and is the author of two books on Australian cinema, The Last Wave and The Avocado Plantation. He lectures in film history at the University of Sydney Center for Continuing Education. So we are (laughs) honored, grateful, and very excited that David has kindly accepted to be our guest tonight. But we also have a very distinguished panel of four members. Margaret Cortez, (laughs) who is the former film and performing art programmer at the Japan Foundation in Sydney. Philippe Platel, who serves as the Cultural and Audiovisual Attaché at the French Embassy and is the French Film Festival's artistic director. We also have Gina Rubiano, who is currently the New South Wales Festival's events and marketing coordinator at the Palace Cinemas in Sydney. And we also have Nasser Shaktour, the founder and director of the Palestinian Film Festival. So we're very grateful you could be here with us tonight. And we have our sincere thanks that you have accepted the um, job of being here to talk about your film festivals. Now, it's time to ask David Stratton to come. And please welcome David Stratton now, who will speak for us.
1: Thank you, Michelle. Um, Just one correction, I've never been on the jury in Cannes. Uh, (laughs) I have in Berlin and Venice. I have been twice president of the International Critics Jury in camp, uh, but never on the jury. Um, film festivals began in Italy in 1932 when the Biennale of Venice uh, decided to add a new segment of their arts festival to include film. Uh, this uh, decision was very much a tourist decision. Uh, it was very much supported by the tourist industry in Italy, and especially by the chain of hotels that own the biggest and most expensive hotels in Venice, the Excelsior and the Deban on the Lido, and the Daniele and the Gritti in Venice itself. The idea was to get Hollywood to Italy, and it worked because the very first film festival ever held in 1932 opened with a film produced by Paramount called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's a wonderful film, by the way, the best version of that particular story. Uh, The stars of the film, Frederick March and Miriam Hopkins, came to Italy, as did the director of the film, the very talented Ruben Mamoulian. But of course, Venice was, Italy was a fascist country, in the uh, in the 30s. And after Germany became uh, under fascist rule as well, the Venice Film Festival, which was very successful from the start, uh, over the next few years became more and more a celebration of fascist cinema. Goebbels was uh, a regular attender. So by the end of the 30s, it was decided that maybe it was a good idea to... Uh, have another film festival, a rival to Venice, uh, and after some discussion it was decided to hold a film festival in the Riviera town of Cannes uh, in September 1939. A program was announced, but as you will know, events uh, occurred in September 1939 that kind of superseded that. So, in the end, uh, the Cannes Film Festival wasn't held until 1946 um, when it was held for the first time, but not in September, in May. The idea being uh, at the end of the, in the case of Venice, at the end of the tourist season, September, in the case of Cannes, at the beginning, just before the beginning of the tourist season. So, it was all very much geared to tourism. To begin with, Cannes was not very well funded and in fact there was no Cannes Film Festival held in 1948 or in 1950 because of a shortage of funds. And Venice and Cannes both shared one thing in common. They asked the participating countries to select the films so that if America was participating, the Americans could choose whatever films they wanted to show. Then in 1947, something rather different occurred in Edinburgh, in Scotland, where there was a very large film society called the Edinburgh Film Guild, and they decided that it would be a nice idea to have a film festival in Edinburgh, not a competition like Cannes and Venice giving prizes, but a non-competitive festival that would be made up of invited films that were not being screened commercially in Britain at the time. And the first Edinburgh film festival was held in 1947. And that was a big uh, influence on what happened here in Australia. In the meantime, the uh, communist bloc decided they should have a film festival too. So a film festival was started in the Czechoslovakian resort spa of Karlo Vivari in 1948. And then, of course, West Berlin in 1951. But before that, in 1950, uh, there was a meeting at Newport on the Sydney northern beaches of the Australian Council of Film Societies, ACOFS. Representatives from mostly Victoria and New South Wales attended, and they decided that it would be great to have a film festival, a non-competitive invited film festival like like Edinburgh. uh, in Australia because there were even more films in Australia that just never got released, never got shown in those days. It was decided to have the first Australian Film Festival in January 1952 to coincide with the next ACOFS meeting. And then it was decided that there would be, the following year, it would be held in Sydney. Sydney and Melbourne would alternate for the next years. But the Sydney delegation to the first Australian Film Festival in 1952 realised very quickly that Melbourne wasn't going to let it go. And that indeed proved to be the case, that the Victorians already decided that they would hold the second Melbourne Film Festival, as it was now called, in 1953. So the Sydney people came back uh, and decided that there had to be a Sydney film festival. Uh, A committee was formed, chaired by uh, Sydney University Professor of Philosophy, Alan Stout, and including um, the Sydney University Film Group, the Sydney Film Society, and the Sydney Cinema Society, which was a home movie uh, outfit. They made their own amateur films. And, of course, anybody else who wanted to spend the time and come along. So the first Sydney Film Festival was held from the 11th to the 14th of June, 1954, right here at Sydney University. The original program was almost all revival films, several of them silent films, like The Passion of Joan of Arc and The General by Buster Keaton. But both society, both film festivals in Sydney and Melbourne flourished over the next few years, and gradually began to play a very important role in the film screenings in this country. To begin with, they were bitterly opposed by the commercial film distributors. One film distributor who would probably release most foreign language films in Australia at the time, all the films of Ingmar Bergman, for instance, and others, uh, said that they would never allow the Sydney Film Festival to show a film or the Melbourne Film Festival to show a film that they were distributing. The other big battle that the festivals fought in the early days was censorship. The censors demanded physical access to every film imported into Australia, and that included festival films. And they, the films could be cut or sometimes... Banned, and that happened a great deal. However, the festival survived. In 1967, it moved from the university, uh, where it had been till then, uh, to the Winter Garden Theatre, the long dead Winter Garden Theatre in Rose Bay in the eastern suburbs, simply because that was a 2,000-seat theatre, and and the, the festival needed a bigger venue. In 1974, the festival moved finally into the center of Sydney itself to the State Theatre, uh, where it remains to this day, Although its main base is to this day. So that happened in 1974. And to celebrate that, uh, the festival invited to the festival um, Ruben Mamoulian, a man who had directed the film that opened the very first film festival in Venice. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was among the programmes shown in Sydney at the State Theatre that year. That same year, 1974, the Sydney Film Festival started the Travelling Film Festival, uh, taking films around, to begin with, around New South Wales, but later on in uh, Queensland and Northern Territory as well. By the mid-1980s, or let's say by the, by, by about, by the time I left in 1983, the, the format of the Sydney Film Festival was something like this. Uh, on week, weekends, we would show four feature films. There would be plenty of time for dinner and, and a lunch break, and it was all fairly relaxed. On weekdays, during the morning and afternoon, we would have retrospective screenings, Uh, In the late afternoon, we would have a sort of cutting-edge program, avant-garde, if you like, new directions, that sort of thing, and then two sessions in the evening. So that was a total of 36 um, sort of mainstream new-release films, uh, eight avant-garde films, uh, probably 10 or 12 uh, retrospectives films, and that was the format. And you could, if you took time off work, see everything (laughs) you didn't have to miss a single film later on of course uh, the festival grew uh, like all festivals have grown in recent years Um, grew out of the state theater added lots and lots of screens and lots and lots and lots of films so it's no longer possible uh, now to see anything near uh, all the films in the festival Um, but you could argue um, whether which is the better system. Of course, the current system gives you much more choice. It can also be extremely frustrating because you always miss the film that, that everybody else is talking about. Um, I'll just tell you one little anecdote about the very early days of the Sydney Film Festival. Um, this was in 1956, I think. It was before my time, but 1956, I think. And the festival uh, invited uh, a very famous Japanese film called Seven Samurai, which up to that time had not been screened uh, in Australia. The problem was that because the largest venue here at the university held 600 seats, and we had a, the festival had a subscription base, it was all sold on subscription tickets in those days, a subscription base of just over 2,000, Every film had to be screened four times. And the the session times were structured around a two-hour running time. Now, the problem with Seven Samurai was that it was a lot longer than two hours. And uh, so what could the programmer at the time do? Well, I'm here to tell you that what he did was decide to drop a reel um, from the film. Um, But just to be fair, he decided to drop a different reel at each session. (laughs) So for years afterwards, people were talking about Seven Samurai and said, do you remember that scene? No. (laughs) But do you remember that scene? Those were some of the uh, the, the, the problems of those, those early days. Um, I know that uh, my friend Philippe is going to talk about the, uh, the French Film Festival and its 30th anniversary, but I also know that 50 years ago uh, there was a French film festival in Sydney, um, not organized the way it is today, but the, 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 the French were the first um, was the first country to have a its own language film event in Sydney, and it was on a pretty regular basis, and stars were brought out to Australia. The first one, I think, was in 1968, 50 years ago. Um, so th- th- that, that tradition goes back a long way as well. But now I'd like to invite to the stage, the, the, to the lectern, uh, our next uh, speaker. Who is uh, Margaret? Margaret, would you like to come and talk about the Japanese Film Festival? Thank you.
3: Good evening, everybody. Um, My name is Margaret Cortez. I would also like to pay my respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and for this opportunity to talk about film. And um, the Winda Film Festival is coming up at the end of the month. So if you're interested in Indigenous films, definitely make your way to Event Cinema's George Street. So they've got Indigenous films from all over the world. However, I'm here today to talk about the Japanese Film Festival. Um, I was at the Japanese Film Festival um, for four years. Four of probably the most interesting years in its history since... um, in 2015, the festival lost its um, longtime artistic director Masafumi Konomi, who was um, pretty much, you know, your regular guy um, who came to Sydney to study, and um, he ended up working for the Japan Foundation. He a uh, thought of an idea of screening Japanese films, bringing more Japanese films, because he was pretty frustrated that whenever he asked people, um, or Australians at that time, whether they knew any Japanese films, they kept mentioning Weather Woman, which screened a lot on SBS. <laughs> so that was the start of the Japanese Film Festival. And really, the original idea behind the Japanese Film Festival when it was started in 1997 was to um, basically mirror the domestic um, exhibition market in japan so they screened mainly mainstream films throughout the years of course that has changed and there have been constant efforts to introduce more art house titles but it has remained largely mainstream so in um, 2015 the festival for jff was um, presented with um I guess you could call that year as the... So let me repeat that again. So there, was, there were two catalysts for the changes um, that happened at the Japanese Film Festival. One, it was losing its director, um, and the program was left to the hands of four young women, one of them who has never seen a Kurosawa film before. That's me. <laughs> I have seen a lot of Kurosawa films since then. Um, and... Uh, And really, it was a time for the festival to, or for the Japan Foundation, which is the cultural agency uh, tasked with presenting this event, to consider what is its place in current Australian society, especially in an environment where there's a lot of um, illegal streaming, a lot of Japanese films um, you can watch as as soon as a DVD has come out. And um, of course, there's also um, other competitors, such as um, streaming and video on demand, as well as um, frequent travelers. They always see Japanese films on airplanes. So moving away from mirroring this uh, this domestic Japanese domestic market, we decided to put more value into it by what if we could introduce different facets of Japanese society. And really for a long time, that's why a lot of, I think, um, a lot of people in Australia um, watch Japanese films or are fans of Japanese films. One would argue that a lot of people are fans of the culture and um, going attending the festival enables them to really be physically present um, within that imagined community of Japanese um, culture enthusiasts and fans. And uh, another, uh, another change that the festival also introduced was to bring in more films um, from the international film festival circuit. So titles from Berlin, uh, Cannes, Venice, Raindance and all these other festivals that don't make it to the bigger festivals such as Sydney Film Festival and the Melbourne International Film Festival. And so, for four years, the festival has changed, you know, its position as a really a place for people to discover another um, another dimension, really, to Japanese culture. It it has been an inter- an interesting experiment so far because we do get people walking out of films saying. I don't like this film because there are poor people in it. I don't like these films because there's rape in it. But really that's the reality of of Japanese society or any society for that matter. Um, Another challenge that I would say that JFF has experienced is also, of course, um, like any other cultural film festival, is funding. So um, the festival is largely funded by the Japanese government, although it's 100% 100% curated by the a local Australian team, ensuring that the films are st- also relevant to you know our own multicultural society. Um, it it has always been tricky because the position of the Japanese Film Festival is really it's films or movies. I would use that term. Movies are you know, the most effective, cost-effective, and um, efficient way to increase your soft power. And um, Japan as a culture really has been um, relying a lot, I, th- I believe, in pop culture, and really riding the trans- transnational wave from you know, Japan to the rest of the world. Um, I, have n- I wasn't alive yet, but um, there was a popular TV show in the 60s called, I think, Detective Samurai, and um, i heard that it was somehow more popular than the Beatles. so um from that example we can see that um, australia has had an interesting relationship with japanese culture and the festival is is fortunate to um to have a very supportive audience who come to the films every year and for the past 4 years have also been challenging themselves and really going out of their comfort zones and watching films outside of their expectation outside of your regular you know outside of your Ghibli films or outside of your pop culture films fronted by pop stars and 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 the like and i guess that Brings us a question: If what if the festival loses its funding, will it still exist? And really, frankly, the answer is no, because it is up to the Japanese government to 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 believe in to believe in the project and to continue funding it. Although, of course, there are other models of um, screening Japanese films, and we've seen a huge increase in. Japanese films within mainstream cinema, um, thanks to local Australian distributors, although the content is still skewed towards um, pop culture titles. Hopefully in the future, we'll see more mainstream Japanese films and more support for Japanese films in other types of film festivals, such as the Sydney Underground Film Festival and of course the major film festivals, um, SFF, MIF, as well as Adelaide Film Festival. And I think my five minutes are up. So um, I'll keep it short and end there. And if you have any questions, be more than happy to answer them at the end. Thank you very much.
4: Good evening. Um, So uh, thank you, David, and indeed, as you said, we are we are going to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the French Film Festival next year, which makes us the longest-running uh, national uh, festival in Australia. Uh, we it's a festival which uh, grew like all the others, actually, uh, year after year since uh, during these 30 years, we doubled the box office. Uh, these past 10 years and we increased it by 15% uh, these past two years. So it means that we can be quite optimistic for the future, but however, behind these figures uh, we know that we will face some challenges for tomorrow and we have to make sure that we can attract a a new audience as well Uh, we have we have to be honest uh, quite uh, an old audience at the French Film Festival Uh, though uh, among the 250 films which are produced in France every year of course there are films for everyone, including the young audience, and including these uh, these 74% uh, uh, who who prefer stay at home to watch film. And uh, it's one of our challenges as well, like uh, all the others, is how to uh, attract the audience to cinemas, uh, and how to explain them, how to make them understand that there is a, a very special festival experience to enjoy um during festivals that of course you can't enjoy uh in your sofa uh there are other uh it can be also quite cool to stay in your sofa actually um so um for this celebration of the 30th anniversary, indeed, uh, we will. Oh yes, yeah, so one thing I, I would like to point out as well is that it's the this this festival is also the biggest French film festival in the world. Uh, and I was really amazed when I arrived in Australia, when I, I, I was said that. Australian, the Australian audience loved French films so much. And I'm still very, uh, very um, uh, amazed by, the, by this. And indeed, it, it's the biggest festival, French film festival in the world. Um, so we will take the opportunity of this celebration, this 30th anniversary in 2000, uh, uh, 2019 to um we will try to uh, attract the uh, the new audience uh we it, it's a, it's one of the challenges that we have to uh, uh to cope with every year is at the same time uh, uh on the one hand we have to make sure that we can uh, entertain and uh, the the a more traditional audience our usual audience and at the, and on the other hand we have to um uh, Propose a new offer for those, maybe among you, uh, who um, are not that motivated to go to cinemas and not motivated to go and see French films. Um, So oh yeah, the the two things I would like to uh, highlight uh, in this uh, um, very short speech uh, is first that we have, uh, I think all all of us, we have an utterly uh, a very important uh, political role to play as well uh, as cultural organizations, as cultural enterprises. Um, and because we give a window or different windows to the world, uh, to the audience. Uh, so next year, indeed, uh, we will took the opportunity of a, a film about the French Revolution, which, of course, is quite an important st- uh, period of our history, to talk about this uh, rebellion spirit and um, and it's not particularly French uh, um, with two films so the film about the French Revolution one people one nation the big production with an impressive cast and so on and costumes uh, uh, battles and so on and uh, on the other end of the spectrum uh, and on the uh, on the other end of the spectrum at war uh, by Stephane Brise which is about the contemporary rebellion spirit. Um, And it's, again, it's not only French. (laughs) There will be next year a a new section, which still hasn't a name, uh, which could be like a a fringe for the French Film Festival. So maybe a fringe, I don't know. Uh, We'll have to work on it with the marketing team. Uh, Dedicated to... um, the new, the new waves uh, of French films uh, in new territories, quite new territories, Well, not new territories. I, I think David would probably correct me, because there are not new territories, horror films, zombie films. Uh, there they were amazing films in these territories in the past. Uh, it's just that they are maybe, yes, in the fringe now. Um, And they, they show, they have the same, uh, connection to, to the world, to the problem that we are facing than the other films than, than, for instance, at war. Typically, this one, The Night Eats the World, uh, is a zombie film taking place in Paris, uh, in a typically traditional Parisian building surrounded by zombies. And I have a, a trailer which will be, will speak much better than me
0: this happens. (laughs)
4: Uh, So why why am I showing this trailer not only to do a bit of promo but because it's probably at the epicenter of these challenges that we are facing uh, to uh, find the good balance between uh, the traditional films or the films that we can Uh, expect in a French Film Festival, but also the thing that we don't expect. And it's very important to show films that are not expected by the audience as well, uh, because it's probably the one they they won't forget. Uh, And it's also, uh, yeah, I think it's also a new trend. Uh, Probably the the younger ones in the audience will, Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we'll say that indeed, Jean uh, films uh, or zombie slasher, uh, rape, rape, revenge films are a bit uh, trendy. Uh, and fortunately, there are French ones. Uh, so you will have some of them. Revenge, uh, which made a blast in in Toronto last year it's uh, the typical rape revenge film Uh, I don't I won't show a trailer otherwise you won't have your dinner Uh, the wild boys is another very beautiful film uh, um, very very visually absolutely incredible uh, by a, a very interesting filmmaker called bertrand mendico and knife and heart uh, by Jan gonzalez with vanessa Paradis. so this one i can show a few of images while talking because we don't have the sound so uh, uh, we will gain a few minutes <laughs> um, so this one uh, of course you probably would prefer uh, the one the cool voice of vanessa Paradis, but uh, you will have mine. Uh, so knife and art is a uh, is a um, yeah a slasher movie uh, taking place in the eighties when Paradis plays the role of um, um, a producer of gay porn films um, uh, and she have to she 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 faces a serial killer killing all of her cast. Uh, so behind this very uh, weird um, uh, uh, pitch um of course the film well apart from being uh funny and uh very cool uh the soundtrack is by m83 actually uh Jan, Jan gonzalez is the brother of the founder of m83 the electro rock uh, band so everything is super cool and uh, and it's also uh of course in the background, about the malaise, which is still very vivid, about uh, homophobia, and, and indeed, in France and in Brazil, everywhere, we hear about homophobia and about um, uh, equality, diversity, and everything, and how. So this one is typically uh, uh french <laughs> uh, a french film so um, uh, as a conclusion to this statement but of course uh, it's open to the discussion that we will have with the other uh, panel member um, i would say that indeed i think the very important challenge we are facing now is how to uh, generate the audience of tomorrow And at the same time, I think boundaries are now more and more blurred. Uh, We are talking about French film festival, Palestinian film festival, Italian film festival, Japanese film festival. But eventually, is it really important to go to cinemas to see a French film or an Italian film, or just to see a good film? and even the the industries themselves they collaborate now and for instance in the next french film festival there will be films french films uh uh produced in the states or in canada in co-production uh, in uh Kyrgyzstan. um The lines are blurred and maybe it's not so appropriate to talk about French, Italian uh, film festival, but however, it's still a way for the audience to reach these films. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Thank
5: you. Uh, good evening everybody. Uh, I'm Gina Rubiano. I'm the New South Wales coordinator of film festivals um, in at Palace Cinemas here in Sydney. I would like to pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land, um, past and present. Also, thank you very much to the organizers of this event. I'm feeling very humbled to be here sharing microphones with such a big figures of the film festival industry here in Australia. Um, I was asked to, to answer two questions with these statements. Um, one was about the future, what I think was the future of the film festivals industry in Australia and how I plan to secure it. Um, And the other one was, what are the challenges facing film festivals here in Australia? So I'm just going to quickly give an overview from my perspective as a coordinator um, of marketing and events um, for seven film festivals here in Sydney. Um, So Palace Cinemas is the largest independent cinema change. Um, In Australia, we showcase lots of independent films, lots of foreign films, and we organize seven film festivals throughout the year. The Young at Heart Film Festival, the Spanish Film Festival, the German Film Festival, the Scandinavian, the Italian, the British, and Cine Latino Film Festival, which starts next next week. Um, It is very hard to tell for me to tell what's the future of a volatile industry such as um, film industry in Australia will be like. But at the moment, taking advantage of the great trend of investing in experiences rather than stuff seems to be on our side. Um, The beauty of cultural focused film festivals such as these seven film festivals uh, is that we can rely on the community to make it happen. And this is how things start to get political and social Uh, in this sphere in a country like Australia, um, as we need more immigration, in order to have more steady foundations and continuous growth. For instance, Latin American film festivals in cities like Chicago, London, or LA um, have become what they are thanks to considerable Latin American populations residing there. Whereas here, our Latino film festivals is still still giving baby steps. Um, I also think that as we become more entitled to express and stand out for our personal identities, identities and individualism, there's definitely lots of room for several new film festivals to keep popping up, specializing in different themes to fulfill people's personal interests. For example, the Science Film Festival, the Environmental Film Festival, the Underground Film Festival, the Docs Film Festival. As it gets easier to make films, the logic tells us that we need to keep providing the platforms for showcasing them. Currently, there is not really enough room at major film festivals to show everything filmmakers, um, producers, sales agents, and distributors submit how I plan to secure them. From from my coordinator perspective, um, in the case of these seven film festivals, there are three critical factors. Um, The quality of the films on offer, the price point of the regular tickets and special events, and how engaging these events are in order to keep patrons craving for more. The challenges. Um, interestingly, interestingly, as I mentioned how we need more platforms to keep showcasing films to niche audiences, that also means that there is an oversaturation of film festivals, along with other cultural events. In the case of Sydney in particular, and uh, with a predominantly outdoor lifestyle, that's also an obstacle, along with the good weather. However, when it gets very hot, God bless the cinema. As you fulfill these three factors I mentioned uh, before to secure, to secure them, we also simultaneously set up the yardstick higher. Um, our festival goers criteria has been fine tuning since day one of each festival. Palo Cinemas is characterized for offering quality films at unique venues in key locations across Australia. This has also shaped their expectations um, for our festivals. So again, we will always be keeping an eye on the availability of a great opening night film for, from each country we do a festival for. But once we, got, we spot it, the negotiation begins. The fact that the film exists and that we want it doesn't necessarily mean that we can have it not only due to financial reasons, but also between festivals and theatrical release, the competition can be tough. Internet streaming and sedentarism, I would say, can also be challenged for film festival. It's only one more, it is not only a more convenient and affordable for, way for people to consume cinema, but it's also pushing for viewers to not move, to not engage, changing their their way, their interests, and preferences. I want to believe the sun shines equally for everybody and that each platform will always have its own audience. However, the industry has been clearly neg- negatively affected this year in particular by internet streaming. Another challenge with internet streaming is the film rights issue. Will it keep being battle to maintain film premieres at the cinema? Or will both the spheres agree on a middle ground for both parties to have a fair go? This, of course, needs an active involvement from all sides of the film industry, including distributors, exhibitors and the audience itself. Perhaps this is a bit of a naive view, but campaigning against piracy seems to have consumers, to, to make consumers more conscious about these issues in particular. The same with sweat factories in the clothing industry. Will film festivals be lucky enough to go through the same process when it comes to the platforms you choose to watch a film? Um, My hope is that I trust that there will always be an interest in our core audiences to come out of their houses and keep developing a sense of community and identity by witnessing foreign stories on the big screen and having a wholesome experience when choosing to go to a cinema and to be part of a film festival. Every challenge, uh, I would like to take it as something positive and as a normal process and nature of the film festivals and embrace it and keep doing the job right. Offering, Offering more than the film screenings and more engaging events is is crucial. I would also like to take, keep taking advantage of all the amazing marketing platforms that are out there to keep letting people know about these festivals, about these films. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you,
0: Thank you. And before I start, I would like to uh, pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which we are standing on for the elders elders past and present. I guess I, hearing, the, the, hearing the previous speakers, I somehow don't have <clears throat> sorry, the, um, the challenges and the issues and the problem they're having. My challenges and problems are quite different. Um, um, I guess i start talking about the beginning of the Palestinian Film Festival and why the idea came to my mind. I, I had um, a documentary in, in my hand, which I was wanted to screen. It's called Real Bad Arabs by the late Professor Jack Shaheen from, uh, from America. And through his um, um, study and research, he came to the conclusion that uh, 70% of Hollywood production uh, presented Arabs and Muslims and Palestinians in a negative Way in a negative stereotype, so that represented to me in my mind. Um, given my background, not in technology, uh, in technology and marketing and sales, not in films, and the last thing I know is about films, is is actually to screen that documentary. And I, I presented it to a few festivals. None of them would, wanted to screen it. So I thought, well, damn it, how difficult it is to start a festival. So I, so and then I started started you know, 2007. Two weekends, uh, a, a, a Palestinian film festival. It was one off. Um, we all was able to secure. I guess as soon as we decided to, um, me and, and a couple of friends and a small group of people decided to do the uh, festival, sort of the world conspires to help you. And then suddenly, fil- Palestinian films start appearing from nowhere. And with no time, I had six, festi- uh, six films. We held uh, the, um, uh, the first festival. Um, and then we finished, and we went home, and we thought, we've done a marvelous job. We're happy. I screened the films want the screen. I, just, I saw them. Um, and then people rang me. In fact, um, 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 ex-judge uh, Hal Watton and said, by the way, that was a marvelous job. You should do it every year. And we found it difficult to say to our judge, no, you can't. Um, so with the help of a few people, we've been uh, running on and on. For, uh, we just finished actually uh, last Monday, uh, last Sunday, we finished our screening in Adelaide for the uh, ninth edition of the Plausian Film Festival. We went for, uh, um, we toured uh, seven cities um, and we doubled our audience with all our program and we've been going from strength to strength. So, uh, this is, I guess, the challenge for me here is to uh, navigate the Australian film scene and, and create a platform and create. Um, a platform for Palestinian narrative to be screened and to be shown outside the political prison. Palestine always seen as a news item. Now people seeing it you know, as just normal people with their own hopes and desires and disappointments. And, and I think it's succeeding um, from that perspective. Um, the, other, the other sort of um, uh, the way to secure the future in terms of for, for our film festival is to keep penetrating the audience and really making Palestinian films uh, six if you like uh, you know people actually talking about politics people want uh, you know I would like to be less politics and more human if you like uh, and a lot of Australian audience would like documentaries about the Middle East and Palestine but to show them features and and, and shorts and, and you know animations uh, about Palestine and and we sort of succeeding it's not really because we are a small organization and you know volunteer based. We're finding it difficult to have the marketing muscle to uh, uh, um, you know, navigate our way through the complexity of the film scene in Australia. But I think we are succeeding. We're finding a lot of support. Um, we're finding it quite um, important for us to keep doing what we're doing, because I think we are. Um, now, I guess the point I was saying uh, before that we started um, as a small festival with based on... We perceive there is a need in the Australian market to actually create a, a, a platform, a create uh, to to screen Palestinian films and to allow Australian audiences to see Palestinian films outside the political uh, um, uh, dogma that creates between uh, uh, that given Palestine is under occupation. We do not we do, we do not have a a cultural um, um, agency to take us around the world and present Palestinian films. We don't have. Uh, a film industry, though nine years later now, we do have an emerging film industry in Palestine. We, we, we are connecting with it quite strongly. I've been to Palestine uh, uh, recently, and it's exciting that the Palestinian film uh, uh, industry is emerging. And it's actually being um, uh, endorsed by the community within Palestine and, and around Palestine and overseas. Uh, the collaboration within uh, the film uh, industry, within the Arab world, and within Palestine and abroad, internationally, including in Australia, it's um, uh, it's increasing. So there is a lot of um, um, uh, uh, elements within the industry I can see uh, uh, that would help us maintain the content of Palestinian films. Obviously, my main challenge here is um, uh, to, um, as a festival, is to ensure that. The Australian audiences uh, find it as an experience to come to. It's not just another you know film that's going to make me depressed. It's actually one of the last films. The film we started with Wajib was a comedy, and people couldn't stop laughing through the film. So, um, so we're changing that um, um, a perception of people about, about Palestine, and that our this is really our uh, main goal is to present Palestine. Um, in its normality, normality, um, with all its complexity and tragedy, but also as a human, uh, you know, with the human factors to it. Um, uh, how are we going to secure the future? Obviously, there is a resourcing issue all the time, but I think um, resources work and appear if you work hard and you know what they are. And our main resources here uh, needed here is actually to have venues uh, to screen uh, films and also have audience uh, to keep coming and to uh, penetrate the market with, you know, uh, with our marketing so people know about us and they keep coming.
2: So I think I would like to thank everyone, particularly our keynote speaker and panel moderator, David Stratton, but also our panelists, our four panellists, Margaret, Philippe, Gina and Nasser. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. For more information about our upcoming events or to listen to more podcasts, head to sydney.edu.au forward slash underscore ideas.